Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, SB Nation's blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. It's mid-July, and most of the hockey world has retreated to either a gym somewhere or a cottage in the Canadian wilderness. We're still plugging away, though, proposing trades, talking about the CBJ, and bouncing around the NHL. Are we the real heroes? You be the judge. I am Ryan Real, and joining us for this episode, we've got Pale Dragon. Hey, PD. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. And we've got William Chase. Hey, Will. Hello. It, uh, it was a quiet week for CBJ News until today. We were recording this podcast on Monday night, and it was announced that Sonny Milano has accepted his qualifying offer of about $874,000. He will be back for next season and will be a restricted free agent again next summer. Obviously, we talked about Sonny Milano last week with regards to his run-in with the law in New York City, and now he is signed for another year. What do you make of, of that? Yeah, so I it's a pretty normal signing if it were any other player i think coming just a week after his arrest makes you wonder <laughs> how much that may have motivated him to you know not negotiate and just go ahead and take the qualifying offer but i think the you know i don't think much is going to come of the arrest at this point it's you know a relatively minor infraction and he'll he'll get off light but i think this is a the most important camp of his career to date because you know, there haven't been spots for him on the depth chart necessarily in the past, but now there is. There are openings in the top six, and and that's where his game fits. His game doesn't fit as a bottom six guy. So if he's going to crack the roster for good, this is the time for him to do it. And if for some reason he can't do it in this camp, if he gets passed by Texier or Bemstrom or someone like that, then that does not bode well for him in his future in this organization. And he could easily be traded sometime during the season or, or next off season. But uh, I think it's kind of uh, put up or shut up time for him. Yeah. Um, definitely a smart call on Milano's part, his camp's part, as far as just taking the money. I mean, you know, after the arrest and the uncertainty of his potential future, but the team and everything just, it's good for him to just take that deal. And um, yeah, I agree. I don't think I don't think there will be any huge legal repercussions or anything that will come from that incident last week. But 
as far as just from a hockey stance or hockey standpoint, definitely the right call for him as far as just taking the deal and trying to move forward. And yeah, I mean, if he's going to make the, the roster, this is, seems like his best chance to finally, you know, to do that, but to also stick around, as PD mentioned. So, you know, we'll see. It is put up or shut up time for Milano. And um, yeah, I mean, from the Blue Jackets standpoint, it's a cheap deal anyway. So I think that, you know, if Milano really, I don't know, not to say that he hasn't been, you know, dedicated or hasn't put the work in, but with the departures from the UFAs, then the unrestricted free agents, and just the opportunity that the last potential opportunity he has, uh, he'll have to try to make the most of it this uh, this fall. You make a good point, both of you, about how this really is his time skill-wise. They need a guy like him. We know he has the talent. We know he has the skill that the Jackets need to continue to put points on the board and to win games. Also, he's coming off of an injury, and that's the other thing. He missed a lot of time last year. He looked great in the Calder Cup playoffs, bouncing back from that injury. So now he's got summer to, to further rehabilitate You know that injury, to, to come into camp physically ready to go, and this is it for him. You know, I, an, Another bad camp or a rough start to the season, and he really doesn't have much leash left. Uh, at the same time, he would behoove the Jackets not to totally tank his trade value, and Jarmo Kekalainen has... You know, continuously uh, talked about his talent, talked about how, how good he is and how this organization ostensibly values him and, and uh, to that end to try and, you know, make sure that you have this first round pick who's who's has not been able to crack the roster and stay up in, in, in the show. So all of that kind of is coming to a head this fall. And um, I, I mean, obviously... Everybody from the fans, the organization is invested in Sonny Milano's success with this team. I saw his first career point in Carolina so many years ago. I mean, I, I, I want him to do well, and he's got the skill. We've seen it. He just just has to do it. So uh, nice to put, the, I guess, the, the news of that arrest behind him, and, and now he's got the deal. So, and, and one year, you know, it's a qualifying offer. The Jackets don't really risk much by, by doing this, but it's, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, and Lay made a good point last week that, you know, apparently after his injury that he did seem like a different player and that it appeared that finally he was maybe taking some some of the organization's feedback to heart and was playing the kind of game that they wanted him to play. So it'll be good to see if he can finally show that in camp and impress the coaches and get a spot. Yeah, um, I think it was two seasons ago, two falls ago now, I, I wrote a piece. It was one of my first few pieces with the Canon, actually. And uh, I remember I was writing about Milano because he had gotten off to like five goals in his first or four or five goals in his first, you know, handful of games with the team. And I thought, you know, maybe this is the year he finally puts it together and sticks. And then his ice time was decreasing if it wasn't already at that point. And, you know, it just seems like whether it's him and Tortorella or whatever, you know, whether it's his two-way game or, you know, how Tortorella is as far as you might be an offensive skill guy, but you've got to be able to play defense or, you know, other aspects of the game. So it'll be interesting to see if Milano has kind of taken the feedback he's received and um, applied that to his game consistently enough. Yeah, and I guess the thing that uh, I need to make clear about Milano, because I feel like I've been pretty critical of him overall in his time here, and I've been supportive of the coaching staff in not playing him as much as some people think that they should have because, you know, he's had flashes of brilliance, 
but then also lots of times where he's just disappeared or he's not been good enough all over the ice. And I think his defensive shortcomings could have been forgiven if he was producing more consistently offensively. But there are times where he would disappear offensively for a long time. And that was where my frustration came. Now, if he can finally come over that, like, I want to be clear that I will be the happiest person to see that. Because Milano reaching his potential is good for the Blue Jackets. So anything that's good for the team, I'm good with. I would be happy to see him succeed. Just at this point, I have, uh, you know, my, my, my hopes for him have, have dwindled. I'm not, no longer expecting that he will finally break through. But if he could, that, that puts the organization in a really good place. I mean, two years ago, we ran a huge post in the playoffs about him, you know, not playing in favor of Brandon Dubinsky. And that was a right. big deal. That was two seasons ago. And, and look to where, where, where we are now. Yeah, that's actually three seasons ago because that was in the Pittsburgh series that we were, oh, was you it know, curious. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. the next, and then the next season, you know, he he came out on fire. He got like what five goals in the first yeah. four games or something like yeah. that. And we yeah. thought, oh man. And I think we ran an article about like, wow, this is a new Sonny Milano, or Sonny Milano is finally breaking through. And then things just kind of dried up a bit. And then he got hurt and missed a bunch of time. And and that was really the last we've seen of, of peak Sonny Milano, and and, that, and it's a shame. And and I hope that that was not, you know, just a flash in the pan, and that that was the best we're going to see. I hope we can see more of that. Well, there was also talk this past week about adding some more offense to the Blue Jackets in the form of Mitch Marner, the Toronto Maple Leaf forward who has not signed a contract with the Leafs and is the subject of constant offer sheet rumors and wants and discussions. The topic of Mitch Marner came up on 31 Thoughts on the podcast, Elliot Freeman from Sportsnet podcast last week regarding the Blue Jackets and, and what he said was, from what he heard, his belief was that it was Columbus negotiating him. He thought, he thinks it may have been Columbus and it sounds like Columbus, from what he heard, wanted to sign him for seven years. The agent and Marner's camp did not want to do that. They wanted to sign for less than that. So he said it wasn't a bad negotiation. It wasn't a fight. Columbus just wanted Marner for long. And, you know, there there becomes the whole situation about the four first-round picks and, and what you're going to have to give up to to make that play. So this is the time for off-season rumors and, and innuendo and discussion. So I love that the Jackets are are going after players like Marner. That's good to see. They, they clearly are... are you know, invested in, in winning, you know, it's not, they lost these guys and okay, well, you know, that's it. It's rebuilding. No, if they can go get somebody like that, they're looking at those avenues. So that's good to see. What do you, what do you make of the Mitch Marner discussion from last week? Yeah. Anytime that you can add, um, well, anytime, first of all, anytime you could, you could potentially add a center who is only 22 years old coming off a 94 point season, 61 is rookie year, 69 the year after, and then 94 last season. Um, obviously, you would, I mean, without actually knowing the detail, well, forgetting the fact for a second that it, to make that deal is probably unlikely on Columbus's end. Obviously, though, you can't you can't blame them for looking and being interested. And I'm glad that because you would have to offer up four first-round draft picks that they at least thought or they're at least looking at it, I guess, rationally as in, well, we want them for at least seven years. We don't want to give up four first-round picks for three or four years. So obviously, I mean, 
if they actually had gotten Marner, that would be awesome. But then you think about, you know, the four draft picks potentially, or, I mean, I know some people might say, but who cares? It's draft picks. But after what they gave up last season, and I'll, I fully endorse that, um, you know, going for it. But, you know, obviously I think they're kind of in a situation where we're, we're going to see how this team plays out next season with the young guys and, it might be it might be a good thing to have those extra draft picks down the road, but um, I can't you can't blame a team for kicking the tires at least on the potential to bring in a guy like Mitch Marner when you you know you see what he's done already in three seasons. Yeah, I think that uh, if they had managed to get Mitch Marner, that he would be worth giving up the four first round picks for because. If getting him makes the team so good that those picks would be very late in the first round. And the chances of any of those four late first round picks becoming a player of Mitch Marner's caliber is pretty low. So if you can get that kind of elite player, you do it, you know. But I also understand that if he was looking for something less than seven years, then that's not, you know, <laughs> that'd be less worth it. You're not going to give up four first round picks for three years of Marner. And I also understand why he's going for shorter term. I think he saw what Mitch, what uh, Austin Matthews did uh, where he wants to maybe get to unrestricted free agency sooner so he can get a raise sooner. He doesn't want to lock in for, you know, eight years at 10 million like Connor McDavid did. And that's going to be, you know, a huge underpay by the end of the contract. Um, Connor McDavid's happy though. You know, <laughs> he's loving it out there. It's a great deal for him. Yeah. Right. Oof. Um, I liked, though, that the report came out because uh, – well, first of all, I'm glad that the Isles don't have a shot to get him because uh, I don't want another Metro team getting better. Um, but also, like, for people like, you know, oh, my God, you know, what is what is Yarmo doing? You know, is he going to do something this offseason? And it shows that, you know, yeah, <laughs> Yarmo is putting in work. He's doing everything he can to try to make this team better, and I'm sure that there's probably been trade discussions that we are not – privy to but you have to understand that it takes two to tango and it's not just a matter of going out and say oh i want that player i want that player you have to get players to agree to contracts you have to get other teams to agree to a trade and that's going to work for them it's not like yarmo is going to you know pull off steals from these other teams and screw them over you know his best trades have been trades that have worked out for both sides actually so but i like that it shows that okay he is active he was trying to get some great players. You know, it just didn't work out. And I th in the case of, of Mitch Marner, you know, he's an Ontario kid, grew up loving the leaves. I don't think he wants to leave there. I think he wants to get paid, and I think he deserves to get paid. But I think he will try to work out a deal that keeps him in, in Toronto. And, you know, Columbus is going to have to come through with a lot of money. And it just, I don't think, was going to work out in the jacket side in terms of both the cap space and then the draft pick compensation to make it work. And just to add, I mean, I, I personally probably wouldn't mind getting Marner for, I mean, if he was going to say at least be there for like five years, like, okay, yeah, I would add another center like that of his caliber to put, you know, with Dubois, you know, first two centers. And yeah, like PD said, I understand from the jacket standpoint of not wanting to go necessarily all in on this when they can't, if they're not going to be able to get him for at least the, at least, what I according to that uh, Elliot Friedman podcast, I believe it was for like the seven years, but definitely a long term anyway. And also, I just want to point out that like I don't think I would also not look at Marner as a 
long-term center solution. He's played very little center uh, in his career. It looks like he took 12 face-offs last season. So I think he would be a winger. Now, I think, again, he would be an elite winger. Um, you know, he would be a almost a one-to-one replacement for Panarin. But uh, but I don't think he would be necessarily the solution at uh, at center because that's just not what he's done in the league so far. I was looking at Hockey Reference. Yeah, you're right. I was looking at Hockey Reference where they list them as a center, but I um, just did another search and they had winger right away. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of players that it's, it's kind of hard to tell. Sometimes, you know, Gustav Nyquist, yeah. some places are still calling him yeah. a center, and that's just not, not what he's been. It's it's hard to tell without looking deeper at the, uh, you know, play-by-play stats. So Yeah, they got him as right wing on NHL.com, so, yeah. And, PD, I can't remember if it was you or not where I saw this. I think it may have been, but the idea of... You want to be careful if you're Columbus going out and offer seeing Mitch Marner when, you're, when your house isn't completely in order yet. There is still a very large signing that the Jackets have to make that they have not yet. Exactly. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And there there really be no way to, you know, sign Marner for the $10 million or more that he needs and then also sign Wierenski to a fair deal without making some other move then to free up a little bit more space, uh, which maybe could have been done if you had – uh, bought out Dubinsky last month when you had the chance, but um, I don't think they were going to do that just to get rid of him, just in case they needed the cap space. Um, so the, yeah, I, I think it's probably more important at this point if they're not going to get Marner to uh, to just focus on getting Wierenski locked in, which I think they will get done. I'm not worried about that, but that's one reason why when I wrote my uh, trade proposal piece, I was thinking, you know, what if there was a way that we could, you know, get Marner without having to offer sheet him. And, but if that case, we're going to lose Orensky, let's maybe lose him for the kind of compensation that we want. And to a team like Toronto that might not be able to offer sheet him, but would take him in a trade. That's the kind of, uh, that's what got me triggered on that uh, scenario. Very good. I want to talk about the trades. We are going to talk about the trade proposals in just a minute. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about those trades. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. All right. Well, we are wrapping up trade week on the Canon. It was like really t- trade week and a half, but yeah. we're, we're still going to call it trade week. And we had some really interesting proposals to to discuss and, and go through. And you, you mentioned the Marner one, which got obviously a lot of attention when you're talking about going after the, these great players, giving up Zach Wierenski, which, you know, that, that touches a nerve. Yeah. It's a third and, rail. And- and you know, as I as I worked through that, and then as I saw the comments, I if I had to do it over, I think I would probably take Marner and Wierenski out of the equation, and instead focus more on how could we get William Nylander, um, and that's still something that I think mm-hmm. we should look mm-hmm. at. I think that you know Toronto needs the cap space, and he takes up a lot of it, and so he could be one 
to move. Um, certainly they have enough other forwards that they could afford to lose him to strengthen maybe other parts of their lineup like defense. And Nylander, though, I think is still a good enough player that he would help the Jackets a lot in the top six. He could play center. He's played some wing. He's played some center. I think they could try, probably try him out at center. Um, so that's maybe more the, what I would uh, look at if I were to redo it. I think I'd still consider throwing in a Josh Anderson as part of that deal. I'd consider throwing in Ryan Murray or Marcus Nudavara, some mid-level defenseman like that. That would I don't want to get rid of those guys, but I think we have the depth of defense that we could afford to give them up to get an even bigger gain in our forward ranks. Yeah, no, that was a really interesting read. Interesting thing interesting to think about. Well, so the, the interesting thing about the the series that we've done, um, you know, we've had some different kinds of trades. We've had some that have been very ambitious blockbuster ones and then ones that have been maybe a little bit more practical and the practical ones maybe didn't get as much response now i don't know if it was because they were with teams like arizona and vegas but uh you know so the more outlandish ones were with toronto and winnipeg and mm -hmm. fans fans of toronto and winnipeg on twitter or in our <laughs> comment section uh were, were very vocal letting us know how much they did not like the trades uh, from from their perspective and that was uh we always appreciate uh, their, their feedback on things like that. Yeah, and Will, you Will, you are enamored with Nikita Gusev. Yeah, um, and it was only really about, I don't know, around July 4th, I believe, that I started to really... Well, I thought that uh, in our Slack channel, I thought... I might be wrong, but I thought PD and Seeds were talking about him, and maybe they were talking about somebody else, or maybe it was him, but um, I guess around July 4th, I kind of started looking into... Nikita Gusa from Vegas because I had heard about his potential and how the Knights were trying to lock him up for the next or at least give him a two year or uh, yeah two year contract or a three year contract but um, they were two million dollars apart and uh, they were you know Vegas is over the cab they have to make moves anyway in order to even try to bring him back so they've been trying to figure that out and when this whole trade proposal idea or topic came about I was thinking who am I going to talk about and then I realized oh this could actually be a potential realistic trade and also kind of like what PD was just saying I was kind of focusing on the kind of the defensive um uh you know the uh, the guys on defense that Columbus has and not that I'm in a huge hurry to get rid of a guy like Nudavara but um, and I have a follow-up piece kind of to allude to this, so I won't give it away, but um, I kind of, when I was making my deal, I was going for the realist, the realistic aspect of it, even though I bring up things like David Clarkson, who obviously won't be traded, but as I mentioned in the article, um, the tool I was using, the cap-friendly GM, uh, armchair GM, doesn't equate or doesn't uh, realistically um, make it work as far as long-term IR and against the salary cap. So for the sake of my trade, it was, let's just get him off the payroll for Vegas to kind of put out a scenario that could make sense potentially. But anyway, um, yeah, it's not like Nuno Bar is a guy I'd be in a hurry to get rid of or anything as far as, as the comments alluded to being under a pretty team-friendly contract for the next three seasons. But, you know, to make a trade, you have to make it realistic for both teams or at least make it so that it benefits both teams. So, you know, I wasn't going to just say, hey, let's just give up, you know, I did add Milano in my trade, but I wasn't going to just try to give any, you know, just put any throw in or throw away in there as far as, oh, we'll just give them this and we'll take this guy. But uh, 
Yeah, as far as Gusev, I just think that he's an intriguing potential superstar. I mean, it's kind of a big thing to throw about, but just based on what we've heard from his uh, international and KHL numbers, the reigning MVP over for um, St. Petersburg, um, there's a lot to like potentially about Gusev. And whether he's with Vegas or any other team next season, he has a chance to really uh, get some more attention on him. Yeah, the th- my issue with that, now I, I agree he's very intriguing. And if you get him for, if he ends up being the next Panarin and you have him for $4 million on the first two years that he's here, that's uh, that would be a steal. I, I just, I was not crazy about the idea of giving up an established NHL player for him because as good as he might be, he's still not proven in the NHL. And it's still no guarantee that his that his game will translate, or that he would be, you know, happy here long term. Maybe he goes back to Russia. Maybe he wants to go to a different American team. I don't know. Uh, so that's why I'd be reluctant to give up one of our decent defenders and something like that. I would be more focused on uh, picks and prospects, which you know that would also help Vegas from their. Uh, salary cap standpoint to get some guys that are on ELCs. But uh, I just, I was not going to give up as much legitimate guaranteed known talent for a wild card. When we already have guys like Texier Bemstrom who are wild cards themselves, but they're not going to cost us anything to play. Whereas Gusev would cost a lot in that scenario. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, and I was also thinking too, that, um, you know, whether it was if instead of focusing on the defensive aspect, you could also, like you said, focus kind of on the surplus of in uh, forward prospects or even even if the draft picks did get it done. Because I was talking with Knights on Ice uh, editor or uh, one of their writers about that. And he was thinking probably a second or third round draft pick or really two draft picks or a prospect as well. So um, it makes sense as far as not wanting to give up like an established defenseman like uh, Nudavara. Well, I would, say, I would say maybe ask them, would they take next year's first and nothing else, just next year's first for the rights to negotiate with Gusev? Because I would say that he is a better prospect at this point than any player that we would draft next year in the first round, in which case from our end, it would be worth giving up that first round pick to get him. But I don't know if that if that alone would be worth worth it for them. I'd be curious to hear their perspective on it. But this has been fun. It's been fun thinking about this kind of stuff. I don't really have a brain for trades. I don't really think about them that often. So it's been a nice thought exercise. And by the way, I really wanted Vinny Hinnestros. I've been looking at him. I like, <laughs> I just could not make it work. I like, I had spreadsheets open. I was really like crunching numbers and could not make it work. Well, that's, it's, it's been a fun exercise because it's really hard to come yes. up with good trades. Because again, you have to think of what's a trade that both sides will say yes to. And, and it's hard to, you know, you try to get the numbers to work and you end up with like, well, I really like this, but wow, the other team would hate it. Or, right. well, yeah, the other team would take that in a second, but am I giving up too much? It's it's not easy. <laughs> right, right, right. It's for sure. But but I did end up liking your your, your article about uh, Wenberg for Stepan because I thought that was a, that is a very reasonable deal and absolutely one that I would make. So, uh and then we've got two more coming, and, and so I'm curious to see uh, how those pan out. Yeah, 56% of our readership said that Winberg for Stefan is a good idea. And I get it, too. You have a younger guy with more talent leaving the organization. So 
I, I get, I get that. And, and it, it was fun to think about and I kind of talked myself into it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset, but we talked about Milano and we talked about Milano's potential and realizing it and getting another shot. Totally different situation with Winberg with regard to his contract and his place in the organization. But that's a guy who scored two goals last year who will definitely have to be better next year. And it's a big camp for him too. Absolutely. So, thinking about that as well. But yes, we've got more trades coming. Check for those on the cannon. It's 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 a good it's a, a good series for for July, and it's fun to think about. So, and it's generated a lot of content, a lot of uh, thought experiment, a lot of conversation. So, it's been, it's been neat. Speaking of uh, conversations and and drama, there was a the piece in the Athletic last week about from Aaron Portstein about the kind of drama that Artemi Panarin and Sergey Bobrovsky brought last year. And there were some specific instances really centered around that Vancouver trip, that Western Canadian trip where they lost to Edmonton and then rallied back against Vancouver. There was some closed door meetings and, and some, some talk from the CBJ leadership. I have started to, speaking of talking myself into things, PD, you have been such a good job at, at being the optimist over the past couple of weeks <laughs> with regards to the core and the different environment. I'm starting to talk myself into the, the, how much of a difference the environment will make in the locker room or in the dressing room and, and, and how that'll affect the play on the ice. It might just be the, the fact that I've not watched hockey and, or I have not watched Blue, Jacket, Blue Jackets hockey in two months. That might be it. But I don't know. Reading that story, I could kind of, I could kind of see how things could go differently with, with the constant distraction out of the way. Yeah. Well, th- there's, there's two things that come into play here and they are, they're both intangibles, which, you know, I love hockey stats, and so, you know, I like things that you can sort of quantify, but there are still intangible factors that matter, you know, uh, and this is why sometimes the numbers don't exactly work out. This is what the rare occasions of then where the odds don't play out is because of sometimes of the intangibles. So for one thing, yeah, you're removing the distraction of, you know, will these guys be here next year? Will these guys be here after the deadline? Like that's gone. Like the team that you have in the locker room this year, like this is the group. And we've seen like in, in 2018, the team rallied after the trade deadline because there was uncertainty leading into that one. And, but once the guys knew like, all right, this is what we got. Then it, it was like a, a burden was lifted off of them for the rest of the season. So I think we can have that going into this season. The other thing we'll have this season in the locker room is the thing of no one believes in us. Hmm. And that is such, that can be such a huge motivating factor in sports. When a team feels like everyone else outside of that room has counted them out. And so they're just like, all right, we've got nothing to lose at this point. Let's just go out there and prove all of them wrong. And this team, I think, had that in fall of 2016. No one saw the Blue Jackets coming, and they came uh, this spring. You know, who gave the Blue Jackets a chance to beat the Lightning, sure. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, yeah. heck, most people thought the Jackets wouldn't even win a game in that series. <laughs> and then it was right. the Lightning that would end a game. But I think the team, again, had that same attitude of like, all right, we're the eighth seed. We're going up against one of the winningest teams in NHL history all right, screw it. Let's just, you know, let's just go for it. And so I think they're going to be able to tap into that again this year. And and I'm really excited to see how that translates on the ice. 
I'm glad that you brought up the Tampa Bay series because I was just thinking that anyway. But also, I while I'm thinking about it, I wish forever, like, I mean, it's one thing that they came back and won or that they swept that series and all that, but I wish that I could know what happened between periods one and two uh, after being yeah. down three nothing. But <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I mean, like Petey said, um, I, there is that motivational factor that could definitely play into things as far as like, okay, no one's giving us a chance. We're under the radar. The team may not be better on the ice for losing Bobrovsky and Panarin, but I do, I right away bought into the idea that the black cloud is gone. I mean, I was ready to be past this Bobrovsky and Panarin drama really, I don't know, late in the season anyway, when it seemed like I mean, I was already on the record as saying they're not going to bring back Bobrovsky or they shouldn't because of the contract and the money that he deserved. But Columbus was not really in the position that they needed to overpay or sign a goalie for seven or eight years. But, you know, I was ready to be past all that drama because, you know, we had the, the incident in Tampa Bay with Bobrovsky or, yeah, in Florida or when they were in the state of Florida anyway, during that Florida Panthers and Lightning, uh, those two games and the incident that Bobrovsky had. And then, um, you know, Panarin kind of... I don't know that he was pouting necessarily, but after the trade deadline, his production offensively seemed to kind of dip a little bit. But regardless, I'm just glad that they are past all of that and that the team can just kind of usher in its new era of young talent and see what they have. And yeah, I mean, I, I definitely buy into the notion that at least they should be the locker room potentially should be better. Not I mean, I don't know. I wasn't in the locker room. I don't know that it was really an issue, but all the contract uh, distractions at least won't be there for these guys anymore. And I'm just curious. I'm just ready to see how it all plays out. Well, to that end of playing it out, there were some new odds from Bet Online today. The odds to win the Eastern Conference, I won't go through all of them. Tampa, 4-1, to one, leading all Eastern Conference teams. It goes Tampa, Boston, Toronto. Interestingly, Florida, 9-1 to one on that on that list. Uh, Pittsburgh 10 to 1, Washington 10 to 1. Your faithful Columbus Blue Jackets 25 to 1. That is just ahead of Detroit's 50 to 1 and Ottawa at 80 to 1. So, Bet Online has the CBJ at 25 to 1 to win the Eastern Conference. Tied with Buffalo. I, I, saw the, I saw the email and immediately jumped into the Slack to complain about it because it made me so mad. Uh, <laughs> they have the – yeah, so the Jackets tied for the third worst odds to win the Eastern Conference, and that feels really low to me. They're, they're tied with Buffalo, and I, I think even given what we lost, that we're still a, a better team than Buffalo. And I think, yeah, the Florida Panthers – Getting Bob helps, but I don't think they're, you know, fourth best. That's just that's that doesn't seem right to me. Um, the Penguins, I think, at ten to one are still too high, given that they're have have been declining. Um, it's a bit of a leap for the Devils to take at twelve to one, uh, and the Islanders, Rangers, both authors twelve to one. Rangers maybe should be higher than that. Islanders, I think, are going to regress. Flyers at fourteen to one. Again, I, I I've not been a fan of their of their off season moves. Now I know that with gambling, you get uh, you know popular teams maybe get better odds because that's what moves the action and that's coming into play in some of these. But yeah, if I were going out to Vegas, I would certainly put a lot of money at the Jackets at twenty five to one because I think that uh, they've got much better odds than that. 
I don't know. It seems to, I think PD mentioned this earlier, that um, it seems like Florida's kind of getting more, I guess, odds or attention just because of Bobrovsky. I mean, I, Bobrovsky... <laughs> Signing a long term, a goalie like that long term. I mean, Bobrovsky should be very good. I would think this season and probably the next few seasons. But we'll see as far as how the contract for him plays out in Florida going forward. But um, yeah, I think Columbus, from what we've seen from like projection models, um, like Sean Tierney had his projection model in Columbus, I believe with 93 points, the forwards and um, defense had some pretty good, uh, had a pretty good war rating. Um, but the goalies, I think he had a, a negative number. And part of that was because they can't really, since Elvis Merzliskins has never played in the NHL, they really couldn't, um, I guess, realistically add his kind of projection or what his value might be. That's I know I've said this a million times it seems like but I know that my wild card for the Jackets is goalie or goaltending just because I want to see if Corpusalo and Elvis can really carry the load I mean this is finally Elvis's chance to actually be the number one guy potentially I think and I don't know it could just be like um, 2013 when Bobrovsky and Mason kind of went back and forth until one really emerged and of course that was Bobrovsky so. I don't know. I think PD's right. Um, the odds for Columbus seem pretty low, and it could it could very well play out that way, or they surprise some people along the way. I think for me, they're a kind of a wild card at best, bubble type of a team, and they might be well under. But um, I think I'm, I'm kind of enthusiastic based on just what kind of roster they seem to have, and some guys have an opportunity opportunity to really excel or really shine. Sure. And PD, you make the disclaimer that always comes with odds releases, which is, you know, this is not necessarily who's going to win, but this is just to encourage action. I love that New New Jersey, New York, and New York are all 12 to 1. Just yeah. there's no difference in all three of those. This is, I mean, these odds are they're designed to get you to bet. And so I, I, I'm curious at Carolina at 20 to 1 as well. I would think they would maybe have a better shot than that, but... Hockey is one of the hardest sports to gamble on because of the sheer randomness. So, I mean, who would have thought St. Louis last year, right? You could have made yeah. a ton. People did make a ton of money on St. Louis. Well, and, and, and as well said, a lot of it comes down to to goaltending. And mm-hmm. you know, people said goaltending is voodoo. Like it's really, really hard, hard to predict. But so many teams can live or die based on the kind of performance they're getting from their goalies. And so, yeah, I think if we can get better than league average from either Corpy or Elvis or some combination thereof, then I think the team's going to be pretty good. If those guys both struggle, then that's going to drag the team down. And I mean, St. Louis had their issues, but then, you know, once Bennington got going, you know, look at, look at how they were able to ride the hot goalie all the way to the cup. So, uh, and certainly, yeah. So having, Bob, if he's playing at peak Bob form, that's going to help Florida a lot. Is enough for them to actually make the run through the playoffs? I just don't know that they have the experience for that. I don't know that they have the defensive depth or the forward depth to really make that work. But uh, but yeah, just it's amazing what having the good goalie can do, and and we've seen that the last seven years for the Jackets. Definitely, you never know. That's why they play the game. That's why, and that's why we watch. All right, boys, it is time for our final thought. PD, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, my final thought is to uh, welcome some new additions to the Cannon family. We were a little bit 
more short staffed than I would have liked for the uh, the end of the season in the playoffs. And I thought our staff did a great job, but uh, was looking to add some more people to help carry the load. And um, we got some great applicants. Uh, so thank you to everyone who applied. But uh, I'm really happy with the two that I picked, and I, I wrote an article about it over the weekend. Rachel and El Polito. Uh, so longtime readers will be familiar with El Polito from the comments. And um, Rachel is uh, has interned with the Jackets recently, and I think each of them provide uh, some diversity of background that will, I think, enrich in the the staff and some, just some different viewpoints that I, I'm looking forward to reading what they do. And uh, I hope the readers will enjoy their contributions as well. Absolutely. Welcome to them. And they, they embiggen the staff as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, first off, I want to say Elena's awesome because she told us to say <laughs> that. But actually, she really is. She does a lot, um, especially with the Monsters coverage. And no, I mean, she really is awesome. But uh, also, um, I also want to correct. We already kind of said this. But yeah, Marner is a right wing. And that's another thing that leads me into... Uh, my, and my final thought is when I'm trying to look up players and I'm not, I mean, there are certain players that we may or may not be familiar with based on maybe their position. Like I know, like PD said with Gustav Nyquist, um, it lists him as a center on NHL.com and he's really a winger and it's like, come on, get it straight. But really, I wish there was a way to kind of, there's, there's probably a site out there somewhere, but I wish that there was kind of a breakdown of like the position. I know it's kind of hard to do with hockey, but I wish that there was a way to kind of list, I guess, the position throughout a season, I guess, if a guy plays like a wing and center or whatever, kind of like in baseball where you can check and see, play first base, third base. I know it's kind of difficult with hockey as fast the game is going, but anyway, it's, it seems to be a kind of uh, one of those things where, for whatever reason, NHL.com will have one position listed and then Hockey Reference will have another one. So kind of annoying for a writer. Yeah, definitely. And that's one thing about the NHL. I was going to talk about kind of sort of that idea. In my final thought, but with, uh, with the disparity of places to find information with regard to uh, analytics and, and positions and stuff like that, it's, it's all over. And hockey, is it getting better? But then, of course... You know, you'll find a site that is just fantastic with analytics, and then that person will get hired by somebody, and uh, and then it's it's gone, it's all gone. So, but that's that's the world we live in right now. But I was thinking about kind of the differences, and I I, t I feel like I touch on it every week, and I don't mean to, but the differences in, in in professional leagues, and particularly the NBA and the NHL, and we could go on forever about that. But the trade last week with with Chris Paul. And Russell Westbrook, and you have these superstars going all over the place in, in the NBA. But that's, you know, that, that is how they've set that league up. That's the culture of that league. The NHL different that way. And I love that one of the biggest stories in hockey from the last week in mid-July was the AHL app fiasco, which I don't know how much <laughs> you guys paid attention to that. But the short version is that a, a former employee of the company that made the AHL app felt like he was getting uh, stiffed on payments. And so he posted uh, his former boss's threats to him about punching him in the throat. And uh, he didn't mean to send a push notification to everybody who had the AHL app, but he did. And so what a weird, like that is such a hockey thing to happen. That is such a weird, like just bizarre, off the wall, weirdo story where nobody gets hurt necessarily. And it's just so bizarre. Like the AHL app with push notifications 
became the story of the day. Sean Shapiro had a really good write-up of it in The Athletic and kind of going through the whole thing because you, if you got the push notification, which God bless you for having push notifications on in the AHL in July, but you were like, well, I don't know what's going on. And then you working backwards. It was a very fun morning. I'll say that. So just kind of one of those fun stories that happens only in hockey and in the off season. So God, God bless the sport we love. All right, that will do it for us. Our theme music is Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Halloween Moons. Angela has announced the name of her new upcoming album, titled 430. Check it out at AngelaPurley.com. Rate us, leave us a review on iTunes. There was some issues with our backend publishing to Google Play. I believe those are resolved now. So you can still get it on Google Podcasts if you, if you don't see it in Google Play, but I believe that's been fixed. As always, we welcome your comments, questions. You can tweet at us, comment on JacketsCanon.com, and check out those other two trade proposals coming this week, and of course, all of our content from here on out. From all of us at the Canon, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.